Man of the Family by Ralph Moody, University of Nebraska Press, 1951. We're on chapter 26. The title of this chapter is Mrs. Callahan. Hmm. Lord God, I am sitting here in Del Rio, Texas, getting ready to read to kids and grandkids that are scattered around the country. And I thank you for the privilege of reading and of, of um, being in different parts of this country. It's such a big country that we are a part of, that we have the west, we have the east, the north, and the south. We have mountains and plains and prairies and rivers and uh, the lakes, all kinds of trees. And I thank you for the wide variety of animals and for the birds that we get to listen to and see. All of it, Lord, is beautiful in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> the Monday before Labor Day, we all came into the ranch with whatever stock we'd picked up. On Tuesday, we started to the roundup of the cows we were going to move down to Littleton. It was terribly slow work. Steers are just cattle. If there aren't enough of them together, there won't be more than three or four out of a hundred that you really remember. But cows are a lot like people in some ways, particularly milk cows. Every one of them is, a different, is, different, is as different from the next one as women at a sewing circle. There were six or seven hundred cows on Mr. Bachelet's ranch that, by that Tuesday in August. And by that time, I must have known nearly half of them. I had one name for just about every woman in Littleton. There were some that were as quiet and gentle, and, there were, and that just looked at you with their big, soft eyes as you rode past. There were some that made a low, whispered moo when you came onto them in a scrub oak or thicket. Oh, I'm sorry, in a scrub oak thicket. And there were others that would stand up on a hill and bellow about how bad they felt whom you knew when you knew there was nothing wrong with them. There were curious ones and jealous ones, timid ones and bold ones. You'd always find some of the oldest cows grazing with the young bulls and the prettiest heifers with the oldest bulls. There were nice, fat old grandmothers that liked to lie together all day long and chew their cuds. And there were skinny old ones that just snatched up a wisp of grass here or there and were always on the go. There were some that always hooked their way through the circle at the water hole, took two swallows and muddied up the water with their feet. And there were others that let themselves be hooked aside. It had been fun for me to watch them when a new bunch came in. There'd always be some slab-sided old cow that would come running to meet us, bellowing as if she were trying to holler that she'd just found a scandal in the hills. Others would run from the, for the scrub oak thickets as though they thought the new bunch was a pack of wolves, and some would just stand empty-faced and stare. <coughs> With a herd of a thousand steers, a fellow could be pretty sure that he'd find most of them grazing in bunches. There might be a half a dozen bunches, and they might be grazing as much as a mile apart, but they never they were never very hard to find. With cows that were heavy with calf, it was just the opposite, particularly if they'd come from lots of different herds. As their time came nearer, they liked to get away by themselves. Range with lots of scrub oak, sagebrush, and alder thickets is the kind they like best. They can hide in it as easy as a rabbit under a tumbleweed, and 600 of them can spread out over 5,000 acres of range like a handful of salt scattered over a haystack. Of course, you can't run cows that are about to freshen. And it's awfully hard to bunch and drive more than a dozen of them in the, if the range is bushy. It's like trying to juggle a dozen apples all at the same time. If you keep on, your eye on any one of them, the rest all get away from you. From Tuesday morning through Friday night, we were hardly out of the saddle in daylight. If, it, if we were, 
It was only long enough to put the wet saddle on a fresh horse or to get a drink at the water hole. By sunset Friday, we had less than 100 head of the right cows in the corrals, and some of them looked as though they were awfully close. Mr. Bachelet needed every one of us until the freshening herd was ready to be moved to Littleton, but he'd promised Mother he'd have me home in time to start school the day after Labor Day. If there was any way to do it, Mr. Bachelet always kept his promises. It was nearly 10 o'clock before we sat down to supper, and everybody was too tired to say anything more than pass the beans. As we started to push our chairs back from the table, Mr. Ba Mrs. Mr. Bachelet looked up and said, Sit tight a minute, boys. I promised little Britches' mother that I'd have him home Labor Day. way things are stacking up, might be a week before we're ready to move. He gulped the last swallow of his coffee and went on. Looks to me like we got a dozen head that might calve inside a fortnight if they're not moved doggone slow. And I don't hanker to pull in with a chuck wagon full of calves. I'm figuring on letting the kid take them along before they get too close to time. Drift them easy, long hours and slow. They looked at me and asked, that all right with you, little britches? You'll have to lug a blanket and camp where night finds you. <clears throat> of course it was all right with me. I'd rather be moving stock than riding empty. So I just nodded. All right, boys, that's it, Mr. Batchett told us. We'll have to call him out by lantern light. I reckon to have him on the road by the crack of daylight. We were on the road by the crack of daylight, and I had 13 cows instead of a dozen. It had just, it had been just light enough to tell one cow from another when I was ready to start. Mr. Bachelet came over to the gate when I was taking up the slack of my saddle cinches. He'd given, just give me a $5 gold piece to buy grain for lady and grub for myself when Mrs. Callahan hummed. Mrs. Callahan was the fattest cow in the place, and she always walked as though she had corns that hurt her. But I liked her just the same. I never heard her bellow out loud, but every time I went near her, she'd hum a deep, soft drone in her throat. That's what she did when Mr. Bachelet and I were there by the gate. She was resting her chin on one of the gate bars and sort of crooned, as if she were asking me to take her with me. I think she probably was, and I think Mr. Bachelet knew it. He stepped over to the gate, leaned from side to side as he looked at her girth, then called to Sid Fulker. Bring the big Durham out, Sid. She'll travel best with the slow bunch. Ah, for Pete's sake, Batch, Sid called back. You ain't going to give the kid a, a jinx 13-er. I think Mr. Batchelor would have said to let it go, but I hollered, Bring her out, Sid. If Mrs. Callahan's a jinx, I'm a jackrabbit, and I'll have her along to sing me tonight. For the first couple of hours, there wasn't much for me to do but sing. Every cow in the bunch was fat and a little old, and every one of them moved as though the step she was taking was going to be her last. The morning was cool, and there was dust enough in the wheel tracks that it made a cushion for Mrs. Callahan's feet. I lolled in the saddle and watched the little puss of dust that squirted up between her cleft hooves when she put her feet down. By the end of those two hours, we'd gone a little more than three miles, and I felt pretty good about it. I knew it was 55 miles from Bachelors Ranch to Littleton, so 18 miles a day was all we'd have to make. <clears throat> if we could do three miles every two hours, we'd have plenty of time for grazing, and I still wouldn't have to drive in the dark. I planned to do all the grazing in the early afternoons when it would be the hottest and the hardest for the cows to travel. Mrs. Callahan hadn't planned that way, though. By the time the sun was two hours high, she wanted to stop in the shade of every scrub oak we passed. Then, when I'd pop her with the line in, line in she'd look at, around at me and hum. It wasn't really a hum, either. It was almost a groan. 
I should have known enough to take her back right then. But I didn't. I'm sure cows can't talk to each other, but it seemed as if Mrs. Callahan's humming really spread a lot of trouble for me. Within half an hour, every cow in the bunch was looking for shade. And slow as they were moving, I had to work Lady into a sweat to keep them on the road. Of course, there weren't any fences, and by the time I got one old hippopotamus back on the road, every one, each one of the other 12 would be heading off in a different direction. And then Mrs. Callahan decided to lie down. I didn't want to hurt her, and I couldn't get her up without it. Um, get her up without it. She must have weighed at least a thousand pounds, and I didn't weigh three quarters of a hundred. There's only one thing I could do, so I had to let the rest of them graze while Mrs. Callahan took a nap. I think she'd have stayed there all day, but after half an hour, I twisted her tail and we went on. In our second two hours, we didn't go more than a mile and a half. All the rest of the day was the same, and by twilight, we were just in sight of Palmer Lake, so I knew we'd only covered 14 miles. We had to keep going if we were going to get to Littleton by Monday night. I ate the last of the biscuits and bacon in my saddlebag and put the cows back onto the road. Mr. Bassett had told me to stop at Palmer Lake for grub and grain, but the general store was closed by the time we got there, so I drove right on through town. There was no moon, but it was a nice, cool, starlit night, and the cows moved better than they did in the daytime. I think some of them were a little lonesome. Once in a while, one would raise her head and low. There was no wind, and the hills would catch the sound and echo it back again. Every now and again, a coyote would howl from a ridge, and another would answer. I was happy, and I wasn't homesick, but I knew uh, I'd be glad when we got back to Littleton. I kept pushing the cows ahead till I was sure we'd covered a good 18 miles. The stars were bright enough so that I could see pretty well, and I found us a good campsite. It was in a little green meadow by a creek bed. The creek was nearly dry, but there was driftwood, so I could make a fire if I'd wanted one. Most of the cows bedded down while I was unsaddling Lady and putting her hobbles on. I thought Mrs. Callahan would be the first one down. All through the evening, I'd had to pop her with a line to keep her from stopping in her tracks. But she was still on her feet when I had my blanket spread <clears throat> and the saddle laid out for a pillow. I thought maybe she was afraid of something. She kept moving around the herd, and there was a good deal more groan than hum in the drone she was making. It almost seemed as she, she heard telling each one of the other cows that she didn't like the place. Before I lay down, I went over and stroked her neck for a few minutes and told her there wasn't anything to be afraid of. I didn't go right to sleep when I turned in. I'd slept out, of, out a lot before, never alone with the herd, but I wasn't a bit afraid. Coyotes won't bother a growing stock or people unless they're starving and running in a pack, and they won't sing at the stars if there's a mountain lion or anything really dangerous around. I lay and listened to them for probably half an hour. Because I was thinking all the time, maybe, but just in little drifty pieces that floated away like summer clouds. And then I realized I hadn't been hearing Mrs. Callahan's hum. I tried to tell myself she'd gone to sleep, but I couldn't make myself believe it. I sat up to look. She wasn't standing, but it was too dark to see if there was, she was lying with the others. I pulled my boots on so I couldn't, wouldn't step on any cactus in the dark and went around to count the cows. Mrs. Callahan wasn't there. There was no scrub oak or sagebrush within a hundred yards of our camp. Beyond that, it was thick. Cottonwood and alder grew along the creek bed. There were a thousand places she might be hiding. She might even have started back to the ranch on the high road. I didn't stop the saddle lady, but ran toward the cottonwoods down, ran the, ran toward the cottonwoods down the creek. I knew Mrs. Callahan would hump every once in a while if she were awake, and just thought I'd find her when I got close enough. I didn't go into the brush, but walked all around the edge of the meadow, stopping every few yards to listen. There wasn't a sound, 
and I was sure she'd gone back down the road. With her sore feet, I knew she couldn't have gone very far, but I unhobbled Lady and saddled her. Then I cantered her more than a mile in each direction on the road. There was no sign of Mrs. Callahan ever, anywhere. Well, next, I started making circles through the brush around the camp, making each one a little wider than the last and stopping every 50 yards to listen. must have been close to midnight when I heard her, <coughs> and it was nearly half a mile from camp. She was lying in a little circle of scrub oak, wide awake and making that groaning sound every minute or two. I should have known what the trouble was, but I didn't think of it, and I was a little peeved at her. I ran Lady almost against her, but she didn't offer to get up, so I slid out of the saddle and twisted her tail. Of course, I didn't try to run her any, but I kept popping her with the line end, and I didn't let her stop to, to rest till we got back into the camp. Now, old girl, I told her, we'll see if you're tired enough to go to sleep with the family. I didn't unsaddle Lady till after Mrs. Callahan laid down with the other cows. Then I put the hobbles on again and fixed my bed. I told myself I'd just lie there and listen until Mrs. Callahan stopped humming and went to sleep. But I went before she did. It was a little gray in the east when I woke up, and Mrs. Callahan was gone. That time, I didn't have to go so far to find her. I expected her to be back in the same circle of scrub oak, so I saddled Lady and headed that way. We'd only got as far as the edge of the brush when I heard Mrs. Callahan's voice. It was close by, and it was altogether different than it had been earlier in the night. With dawn coming, it was darker than it had been when the stars were bright. I didn't want Lady to stumble over a root with me or Mrs. over Mrs. Callahan either. So I slid down, dropped the reins, and listened for the next hum. When it came, I walked toward it through the clumps of brush. In the dark, Mrs. Callahan looked like a big boulder lying there, and there was a small boulder beside her. The little fellow couldn't have been more than half an hour old, and he was still wet when she licked him. I patted Mrs. Callahan on the neck so as I bent down to get a look at her calf in the dark. I think she kind of liked me, even if I had popped her with a line in. She turned her head toward the calf for half a minute, then looked up at me, and the tone of her voice said, This is my beloved son, just as plain as could be. There wasn't any sense in thinking about moving that morning with a brand new calf. He wouldn't be strong enough to travel, and I'd eaten my last biscuits and bacon for supper. I just sat down on the scrub oak root and waited for daylight to come, so I could really get it, have a good look at Mrs. Callahan's calf. While I was waiting, I named him Sean. I'd seen it twice. I'm sorry. I'd seen it in a book about a red-headed Irish boy and thought it would be a nice name to go with Callahan. Little Sean's head was bright red, too. He was bright red all over with a single, without a single white spot, and his hooves were white instead of black. With daylight, I didn't dare leave the rest of the herd too long, so I went back to our camp. And most of the cows were up, and a couple of them had already wandered off into the edge of the brush. It only took Lady and me a few minutes to round them up again, and then there was nothing to do but sit and wait. I knew we must be about halfway between Palmer Lake and Larkspur, and it was Sunday. But I thought I could get one of the storekeepers to open up and sell me things I'd need. A milk cow with a new calf has to travel pretty slow if she's going to graze as she goes. I had plenty of money, so I planned that instead of buying oats for Lady, I'd buy 25 pounds of meal. And that way I could divide it with Mrs. Callahan. Meal is all right for horses, but oats aren't very good for cows. <clears throat> there wouldn't be any sense in going to town before half past seven or eight o'clock. Once in a while, I rode over to see how Mrs. Callahan and Sean were getting along. There wasn't much else to do, just ride around the herd now and again to keep them from drifting into the brush, to keep uh, from just sitting and doing nothing. I found a good, solid chunk of driftwood, wetted my knife on the sole of my boot, 
and started whittling a little shawn. I got so interested in it that I forgot about going to the store till after 8 o'clock. Then I flipped my $5 gold piece to see whether I'd ride back to Palmer Lake or ahead to Larkspur. It came down tails up and I decided that would be Larkspur. I knew the cows would scatter a bit while I was gone, but it was only four or five miles, so I left them bunched in the middle of the meadow and put Lady into a good swinging canter. It only took us about 20 minutes to get to Larkspur, and then it didn't do us any good. <clears throat> the storekeeper had left for Castle Rock half an hour earlier, so all I could do was ride back to camp. Altogether, we hadn't been away a bit more than an hour. There wasn't a cow in sight when we got back to camp, and except for a few droppings, you couldn't have told we'd ever been there. They just disappeared like pheasants in hunting season. For a bunch of old cows that couldn't be driven more than a mile an hour, they'd really done a good job of scattering. Some of them had drifted as much as two miles from camp before I found them, and it took me till way afternoon to get them all rounded up again. By that time, I was really hungry, but I couldn't do anything about it. There were three ranch houses within a couple of miles. The woman in any one of them would have given me a meal, but I didn't dare leave the cows long enough to go and get it. If they got scattered again, I might not get them rounded up before dark, and then I really would be dished. I might not find them all week. I might not find them all for a week. The only good grazing near us was right there in our little meadow. If they'd stayed there and fed during the morning, we'd have been ready to move on by noon. But from scattering so far, most of them were as empty as rain barrels in August. I decided I'd have to hold them there where we were for a couple of hours to graze. If Mrs. Callahan grazed too, she and Sean should be in a pretty fair shape to travel after that, and I could push them along until 9 or 10 at night. Mrs. Callahan didn't graze worth a nickel. She was so proud of Sean that she spent all her time licking him, feeding him, and bragging about him to the other cows. <clears throat> when I brought them out into the meadow, most of the other cows went over to smell him. And every time one did, Mrs. Callahan would gurgle in her throat as though she were saying, Isn't he pretty? Don't you think he looks like me? If we had been where there was open prairie, I could have moved the herd along a little as they grazed. I couldn't do that, though, with the scrub oak and sagebrush growing right up close to the road. If I tried it, I'd have had cows dodging away behind every clump, and it would have taken all my time to keep them rounded up. When I thought it was 4 o'clock, I put the herd on the high road. It was still pretty warm, but not nearly as hot as it had been earlier. I planned to keep pushing till we were just outside of Larkspur. And then I thought I could find a boy to watch the cows while I went and got something to eat. My belt buckle was nearly rubbing on my backbone. We didn't get to Larkspur, though, for two days. Maybe it was Mrs. Callahan's bragging about Sean that did it. Maybe it was just because it was time. Anyway, a couple of my cows just couldn't travel. Before we got a mile, an automobile came along and had to get, I had the cows off the road in a hurry. I didn't get them back on it until the next evening. As soon as we were in the brush, my two tired cows lay down. They wouldn't even get up for tail twisting. By morning, each of them had a calf. I was so hungry, I didn't care how far the rest of them scattered. As soon as 7 o'clock came, I rode in the Larkspur. I, I didn't need to have, have bought quite as many groceries as I did. If I hadn't been so hungry, I probably wouldn't have done it. But I got a whole pound of cheese, a loaf of bread, a dozen eggs, and a half a dozen sugared donuts. And I bought 50 pounds of meal for Lady and the cows with calves. Really, I didn't get held up much by the cows having their calves that Sunday night. The next day was Labor Day, and they had an automobile race from Colorado Springs to Denver. From 9 o'clock in the morning till dark, it wouldn't have been safe to have had the cows on the high road. It wasn't only the automobiles in the race. I think everybody in Denver who owned one had it on the Colorado Springs Highway that day. The dust was so thick, I could don't see how the fellows who drove the racing automobiles could see to stay on the road. 
they went whizzing by faster than an express train. It isn't much more than 10 miles from Larkspur to Castle Rock, but it took us five days to get there. There wasn't a single night when there wasn't at least one calf born. There were 10 of them when we went through Castle Rock, and most of them were still wobbling on their legs. I'd run all out of money, buying groceries for myself and meal for Lady and the Fresh Cows. Of course, it didn't take very much for groceries. As soon as Sean was two days old, there was all the milk I could drink. Cow's milk isn't good for people to drink during the first couple of days. The storekeeper at Castle Rock said I could have all the groceries and grain I wanted and that he'd charge it to Mr. Bachelor. I really didn't need it, but especially not enough to charge it, but I took a whole lemon pie and I ate it as soon as I got out to the edge of town where I'd left the herd. It was the first lemon pie I'd had since Decoration Day. We didn't have too much trouble in getting from Castle Rock to Littleton. It was a little more than 22 miles, but there weren't any more new cabs and we made it in two days. I'd had about the best time of my life that summer, but I was awfully glad to get home. <laughs> Man, all the things you learn about calves and trying to uh, keep the herd moving. I love you guys.